All right. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with, them, with you, um, find Isaiah chapter 7. That's uh, where we're going to spend this morning. We're, we're launching into a, a Christmas series called God With Us. Um, and over the next four, I want to say four weeks, but it's three, three weeks plus Christmas Day, we're going to look at this idea of God with us. And all that means, um, and we're going to take different, different angles at it uh, each Sunday, so it's going to be really fun. Um, and this morning I want to speak from Isaiah 7 and the sort of initial time we hear this idea that God is with us. Um, and so um, let's read together Isaiah chapter 7, and then we will see what God wants to speak to us this morning about. You got it? Okay, I'll give you you a few more minutes then. I'm joking, you've all got it. It's on the screen, isn't it? I can change the screen with my eyes. All right, get on with it, Brad. This took place... Verse 1, this took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Aram's, Aram's king Rizin, 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 and Rizin, what goes Rizin, 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 like what you put in a table to fill in the spots, yeah. Israel's king Pekah, son of Remilia, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it, came, when it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. They were scared. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shear Jazab, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road of the launderer's field. Say to him, Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smouldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remilia, for Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Remilia, oh gosh, has plotted harm against you. They say, let us go against Judah, terrorize it and conquer it for ourselves. Then we can install Tabil's son as king in it. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. The chief city of Aram is Damascus. The chief of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will too be shattered by, to be a people. The chief city of Ephraim is Samaria, and the chief of Samaria is the son of Remilia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God, would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Would you help us to see what it is that you want us to see? And help us to obey what it is you want us to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the um, most biggest responsibilities, I think, of being a parent is giving your child a name. Um, I think, you know, because it's something they have to carry forever unless they go and change it, which I mean, um, if you've done that, then that's great. But, I mean, generally, we just take the name that our parents give us at birth and go, well, that's it. I mean, I'm glad that we don't have children as young as 
what they did in biblical times because if uh, a 14 or 15-year-old me had been in charge of naming a child, Coolio would have been in the name. Coolio Mahiji or um, even uh, a 20-year-old me would have given the name Danger to a child. Like, seriously, I was like dead set on this, um, um, this name. Maybe even 25, maybe even 30. Anyway, maybe even last week, no. Um, but it's a big responsibility to give a name. And here we have um, Isaiah, or the, or the Lord, giving us a new name for himself. This is a prophetic word, and if you've been around church before around Christmas time, then you know this verse where, uh, where Emmanuel, this name is given to a, a new son, Emmanuel. And this is the first time that we see this name, Emmanuel. And so God has given himself a new name. And so why, I want to ask this question, why has he given himself a new name? Why has he given himself a new name now, after all these years? After centuries, after thousands of years, why has he now given himself a new name, Emmanuel? What's in a name? And the name Emmanuel simply means God is with us. God is with us, or with us is God, if you were to literally take out um, those Hebrew letters. God is with us. God is with us. And so hasn't God been with his people already? What was different about this what was different about this promise than what was happening before? Right in Genesis, we see that God is with his people. God is with Adam and Eve. Before there was sin entered the world, God was with his people. He would walk in the cool of the evening. And we get that from Genesis 3, 8 and 9. This is sort of after sin entered the world, but it gives us an indication of what was happening beforehand. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And so this was the original plan. This was the original creation that God had set up, that he would be with his people, that he would walk, he would have uh, close communion, he would have close fellowship with his people. God was with his people. God was with his people. But sin, as we know in, through Genesis, sin enters the picture and breaks that relationship breaks that relationship. In our sin and in our brokenness, we desire, Adam and Eve desired to be God, to know everything, to be in charge of their own destinies, to be in charge of what they could and couldn't do. And likewise, we choose to be our own king. We choose to be in charge of ourselves and and we want what we want and we'll go with whatever we want. Our heart leads us in a way it shouldn't. It's corrupt. And right in the start in Genesis 3, there's this hope or this idea promised in Genesis 3.15, which says, I put hostility between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the snake. Between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So this enemy that brought sin in is no match for this this son or this, um, this offspring that will come. And this hope is pointed to Jesus right at the start in Genesis. He will crush your head. And Jesus will crush, I'm sorry, he will, yeah, he will crush your head. Jesus will crush the head of Satan. And I love this, right from the start in Genesis, that God delivers hope in the midst of sin. God always delivers hope in the midst of sin. In the midst of your darkest moment, in the midst of your deepest um, rebellion, 
God offers hope. God draws us in with love. He doesn't beat us in with a stick. And we see that right from the start, that God would draw his people in with love and with grace. That his desire for you and me would, for us to see his goodness, for us to see his mercy in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, that we would not feel like we have to go into God's presence that we get to because he loves us and because he wants to be with us, God with us. That God desires to be with you right from the start and he will do all he can to draw you in because he wants communion, he wants fellowship. So God with us is a name given to Jesus because it accurately describes how proximity with God works. That God is with us. The name is not us with God, but God with us. Because we can't get to God the way we need to. We can't have proximity or relationship with God the way we need to. Only God can do that for us. Only God can come to us. And through the Old Testament, there is this promise after promise that there's hope coming. There's a Savior coming. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. God is with you. But he is coming even, even a nearer way in an even nearer way. He is coming closer than he's ever come before. God with us, Emmanuel, hope is given. And so Isaiah 7 is sort of set in this context in the sense that sin is in the world. The Savior is not here yet. God is with his people, but he's not with his people the way we know he's with us. And so Isaiah 7. So Isaiah 7, I mean, if you read the book of Isaiah, it's, it makes your head spin. Unless you're like into ancient Hebrew poetry slash prophecy, it, which I don't know many people that are, it puts your head into a spin. It's really hard to, I mean, it's hard enough to read it, let alone sort of go, what? What are we, what are we talking about here? And Isaiah is not really written in a chronological order. It's not written in a way that we would do poetry. It's not, I mean... So much of Isaiah is foreign to us. The construct of it, the way it's put together, the ideas in it, the themes in it, the way that Isaiah writes prophecies, not to necessarily one event, but to multiple events across generations. And he, you know, the, the prophecy is sort of to different moments in history, not just to one particular moment. Although there are prophecies to particular moments. You know, it's, it's enough to make your head spin. And so Isaiah 7 is, is no different. But really, the, the crux of the story in Isaiah 7 is there's a king of Judah, Ahaz, and he is the king of God's people. He's the king of Judah. And at this time, the, the 12 tribes of Israel split into to two. There's a southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. King of Judah is the southern kingdom. And the, the other 10 tribes, there's um, Judah and Benjamin down the bottom and the other 10, I can't remember all their names, up the top. You can look it up. And so there's the southern and the northern kingdom and king of Judah Ahaz has been given this word. That the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, is teaming up with Syria to come and take over Judah. They're coming to infiltrate Judah because they want to get all three armies together so they can all attack Assyria together. Because the king of Judah said, well, we're not really interested in attacking Syria. Like We're, we're good where we are, we're, we're okay. Uh, and so because they weren't ready to team up, they were about to be taken over. And so Ahaz is given this prophecy because he's scared. He's he-, he hears about this attack and he's going, I'm shaking like a tree. I'm not, 
I'm not comfortable with this incoming attack because they are a big, I mean, these two armies together, we don't stand a chance. There's not much hope for us. In his mind, in Ahaz's mind, there is nothing that can help his situation. There is nothing that can, that can deliver them from the incoming attack. And so he's out checking what's going on. He talks about this aqueduct or this, you know, the, the water, that he's going out to check the water supply for the, the battle that's, that's coming. And, but in, in, the, in the back or the front of his mind, he's thinking, we're done for. We are absolutely done for. And so it says there in verse 1 and 2, um, or verse 2, when it came known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. Fear sets into Ahaz's heart. It seems as though Ahaz has forgotten the faithfulness of God from previous generations. From his father, from his grandfather. You know, previous generations to him have been faithful in walking with God and they'd seen God's faithfulness through generations. And to me, this just this is just a side point, but faith just doesn't transfer from generation to generation. It's not an automatic transaction. Faith in our, in our next generation, into our children, our grandchildren, doesn't just happen because we took them to church one day. It happens through telling stories of God's faithfulness, of bringing them up in the ways of God, of teaching them God's word, of praying with them, reminding them of God's love. Faith in, in the next generation doesn't just happen because we want it to happen. We have to work hard at, at bringing the next generation up in their walk with Jesus. So Ahaz is forgotten about the faithfulness of God and he is scared in this moment. God has brought them through bigger battles than this before, but Ahaz had thought there's no hope in our situation. And when we forget the faithfulness of God, when we forget who God is and what he can do, fear will always set in. Fear will always set in. When we lower our gaze onto the immediate, the things that are happening now in our world, in our context, in our circumstance, fear will set in. It's only when we lift our eyes and see the faithfulness of God, that he is God over all, he is sovereign over all, he sees the beginning, he sees the end, that fear goes away. And faith sets in. Courage, peace, all the things we need to take the next step set in our heart when we lift our eyes onto who he is, not on what we can see. So Ahaz gave way to fear in his life because the road ahead was uncertain and it looked like it would be disastrous. You know, no matter what, what season of life we're in, the road ahead is always uncertain. Even if you think the road ahead is going to be great, it's uncertain. Or if you think the road ahead is going to be disastrous, it's uncertain. You cannot predict the future the way God knows the future happens. And so we are, the best thing we can do with our life is to set our eyes and our gaze on him because he knows the end. He knows what tomorrow holds, we don't. He knows what next week holds. He knows what is going to happen on Christmas Day this year, what's going to happen in 2020. He knows he's already there, he's been there. And so we would do ourselves a favour to set our eyes on him and trust him. That by us worrying about the immediate future can't change anything. So Ahaz gave, gave way to fear in his life. The road ahead was uncertain. And whenever we look at the road ahead, we can't be sure what it will hold. We can't predict the future. Only God can. 
And so our best option is to look at him, to trust him. And when we, tr- when we look at him, when we see him, when we hear his words, as Isaiah was trying to give the words to Ahaz, that will generate faith. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When we hear the word of Christ, it, it builds our faith up. When we look at who God is through his word, it builds our faith up. It helps us to take on tomorrow the way that we should. Faith comes through hearing the word. And Isaiah was coming to help Ahaz get rid of his fear by bringing the word to him. Isaiah 7 verse 4, Say to him, calm down, be quiet, don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks. And so Isaiah here is trying to uh, get rid of fear in Ahaz's mind by saying these are just smoldering sticks. You know, the the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, the, the, the armies that are coming to attack you, they're not on fire. There's no substance to their smoke. They are just smoke. You know, I love this idea that the the enemy only has smoke and mirrors. I think there's a song written recently about this idea. The enemy only has smoke and mirrors. He doesn't have fire. He doesn't have something that can destroy you. He only has smoke and mirrors. He only has these things that he can set up in your life to make it look like things are going to be worse than they really are. And that's exactly what he's doing here with Ahaz. He's got two smoldering sticks and he's saying, look, the fire's coming death is coming you better be scared and Isaiah says just smoldering sticks don't worry about them God has it God has this under control they're not on fire they won't hurt you they're about to be extinguished don't fear the smoke of the enemy it won't harm you only fear God only trust God so Isaiah gives him this word this won't happen the invasion won't be successful But you have to trust God. If you don't stand in your faith, you won't stand at all. That's what he says in Isaiah 7. He says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. And this is like a, this little phrase here and these few verses is like a bit of a poem and uh, it's a bit of a play on words in the Hebrew. Um, I've tried to, I found this other way that someone put it, said, if there's no belief, then you'll find no relief. And so this idea that if you're not, believing in the promises of God, if you're not standing firm on the promises of God, there'll be no relief from that which comes or that which is coming. When we stand firm on the promises of God, there's relief. Just um, this week, I went to the bank to um, put a check into our account. Now, I've had this check sitting on the bench for uh, a little while because I just... I don't deal with checks really very often. I mean, checks, uh, I don't think you can even get a checkbook anymore uh, from most banks anyway. And so I've had this check on the bank and it's worth a certain amount of money and I think, oh, that's great. I've got that money sitting on the bench. Um, That's going to be really useful for Christmas or that's going to be really useful for something. And it's not until I take the check to the bank that it actually becomes worth something. I mean, it's worth something sitting on the bench, but I can't use it. It's no help to me sitting on the bench. It's not like I can go through the Macca's drive-thru and give them a check. I mean, they'd probably look at me and go, it doesn't beep. Like, I'm trying to put it on the machine, so is it, is it a pay wave thing or is it a... What do I do with this? It's not until I take it to the, to the bank to be cashed that I can actually use it. And I think the promises of God, the, the Word of God is like this, that when we put our faith into action, 
when we put our faith into the promises of God, that's when they become useful. I mean, so often we just look at the promises of God and say, oh, it's good, isn't it? It's just sitting there on my bench. It's worth a lot. I mean, it's really helpful. Like, um, it's going to be really helpful one day to have that peace. It's going to be really helpful one day to have that joy. It's going to be really helpful one day to have close uh, proximity with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's going to be super helpful. But it's only when we take that step of faith and cash the check that we realize the goodness of it, that we realize the goodness of God's promise. God has given us his word and he is with us through his word. It builds our faith and it will enable us to stand when we can't stand by ourselves. And so we need to trust his word by walking in obedience to it. That the things he tells us to do, that we take him at his word and say, oh, I'm going to take that step and trust you at your word. I'm going to cash that check. God's with us through his word. I was reading um, Spurgeon's thoughts on Isaiah 7. He said, everything else will fail, but his word never will. Everything else will fail, but his word never will. So Isaiah gives him this great prophetic word. It's, it's all good. All you need to do is stand firm. All you need to do is stand firm. And then the Lord, God himself, speaks to Ahaz. He says in verse 10, ask for a sign from the Lord. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. You know, um, coming up to Christmas, um, it's a, a great opportunity to, especially with young kids, every time you walk through the shops and they say, I want that, I want that, you just say, oh, maybe Santa will get it for you. I mean, or maybe, you know, if you don't believe in Santa, I don't know what to say. If there's any kids in the room, you know what I'm thinking. Um, you know, but it's just a great, maybe someone will get that for you for Christmas. And so just write it on a note or write a picture or, you know, tell someone that maybe, and you know, I mean, because they always point out the bazillion dollar thing in the shop that they want, you know, the, the, the most expensive thing is, well, I mean, you can only ask, maybe you'll get it. Maybe the elves will stitch it up for you in, in the North Pole. Maybe they'll get it for you. In the back of your mind, you say, they're not getting it for you. <laughs> it's not happening. You know, you know that you're giving them a bit of a, a false promise here. You're giving them a bit of lip service here to the idea that just to keep them moving through the shop. Come on, let's get past here. Let's get what we need and get out. Um, maybe someone will get it for you, but I mean, it's just a maybe. Um, Ahaz is doing this to God right here. He's just sort of paying lip service to God. He's saying, oh, I'm not going to test God. I don't need to ask for a sign. I'm not going to test God. It's like this false humility of like, I trust you, God, but that's not really what's happening here at all. Ahaz is far from trusting God. Far from trusting God. It seems like he is, but he is directly disobeying a command from God. God is saying, ask for a sign. I'm going to give you a sign. I want to give you a sign. Ask for one. And Isaiah says, no, I won't. And it wasn't like, and it sort of comes across like it's like a polite, nah, I'm okay, God, I, I trust you either way. But it's, it's not what's happening here. Ahaz is just disobeying God and not asking for a sign. Maybe because he doesn't believe that a sign will happen, but I think it's because he believes that there's no hope for his situation. There's no hope for what's about to happen. The words that come from Ahaz's mouth don't match the actions of his faith. 
God is not looking for your lip service. He's not looking for something to say, oh, yeah, I believe God, I believe God. He's looking for faith to come from your life. He's looking for steps of faith to come from your life. Talking about God is not what he's after. He doesn't want more words. He wants more steps of faith. And so what Ahaz was saying with his action was, I don't need you, God. I don't need you to be my king because it won't help. I want what I want. I'll do it my way. You won't help, but I'm okay. And I think if I was to capture what, I'm, what I want you to hear this morning is that every life needs a king. Every family needs a king. Every nation needs a king. And you can't be that king. I can't be that king. Only God can. Emmanuel is the king we need and the king we can't be. Jesus, Emmanuel, is the king we need. He desires to come with us, walk with us, lead us in the ways we never could. Ahaz couldn't be the king. He needed to be without God, without God coming and leading him. And so then we get to these verses in Isaiah 13 and 14. Listen, house of David, it's not enough for you to try the patience of men. Will you also try the patience of my God? So Isaiah's just letting Ahaz have it here for not asking for a sign. It's like, you're not doing what you should do. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's like, if you're not going to ask, I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's like, God is going to do what God is going to do. And this is the sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And so God is saying, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to show you something great. Whether you want it or not, whether you ask for it or not, here it comes. Ahaz, you think you know best. You think you know this situation has no hope. You think God is not going to do anything substantial to change your circumstance. But I'm about to give you a sign anyway that I will be with you. That I will be with you. God moves when God moves. God will move and God will show you things whether you ask for it or not. God wants to reveal himself to you. And he's not going to always wait for our cooperation. He will show himself to us, even when we are full of fear or full of disbelief. And this is the sign, Emmanuel, a son will be born and he will be God with us. Now for Ahaz, Jesus wasn't going to be born for another 700 years. Just think about that. I mean, we read this verse and think, oh, great, Jesus is coming. That'll sort out nothing for Ahaz. I mean, the, the armies aren't going to wait 700 years because Ahaz said, just wait. I mean, there's a sign coming and I just prefer you just hold off, and they're thinking, well, I mean, it's been 50 years, now it's 100 years, like, how long do we have to wait? It's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, it's not much use for Ahaz in that moment that a son will be born, Emmanuel, God with us, 700 years. It's hardly a sign for him. But if you look into this story, if you understand what's going on, there was very likely a son born um, to this nation in this time that was representative of God with us. And whether that's um, Isaiah's son, Mal, in, you can read it in Isaiah 8, you can try to pronounce his name, Meir Shalal Hashbaz, um, in the next chapter, or whether it's Hezekiah, um, who was Ahaz's son, who would become the next king and who would become a godly king. And they both, are, both those people, are, are, there's arguments for whether which one of them is the actual sign. Uh, but they both usher in a greater sense of God's presence and him, him being with them. So as well as this immediate sign, we know that this promise points to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the future hope that is promised to the Old Testament saints. 
Ahaz couldn't lead God's people and himself the way he should. So God was sending someone else. He was sending someone else in the form of a son immediately, but also sending someone else in the form of Jesus eventually. Matthew 1.23 echoes this verse in Isaiah 7. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give a birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. God sees us where we are and he says, you need a better king. You need more of my presence. You need me to be with you, to get you through what you need to get through. If you are going to walk the way I want you to walk, you need me in your life. You need me to be the king of your life. Jesus is the king we need and the king we can't be. And so we need him, God with us. The hope of Christmas is this, that God is with us. That whether the, the situation in front looks like it does for Ahaz, that it's, it's no good, there's no point in hoping for anything, we need Jesus to lead us through it. Because maybe the circumstance won't change. Maybe the, the situation won't change. But God will lead us through it in a way that we can't lead ourselves through it. God will take us to where we need to be. Or God will change the circumstance. God will change the thing that's in front of us in a miraculous way, in a way that we could never do it. Either way you look at it, God with us is the promise and the hope we need. But we need to take that step of faith and follow his lead. God with us. So the question this morning is, whatever uncertain times you're facing, whatever, future, uh, whatever the future holds for you, who is leading you through it? Who are you trusting in the most? Are you saying to God, ah, it's all good. Don't need to ask for a sign. It's not going to help. I've got this or I don't got this. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen the way it's going to happen and God, you're not going to make any difference in my life. Who is the king? Who is the leader in your life right now? God wants to be with you. He wants to be your king. He wants to lead you into a better future than you could ever lead yourself. Doesn't matter, doesn't mean every battle will be won, but it means you will have a way through it. It means you will have a future hope to hang on to. And like what we heard about in communion and through the songs is that we do this because Jesus has not only come, but he's secured our future. Probably one of my favourite scriptures is Ephesians 2 and verse 13 in particular where it says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We can't get to God the way we need to, but God comes to us, God with us. When we get in the way, when Adam and Eve got in the way of themselves, when they tried to lead themselves... This promise was given. Someone will come who will crush the head of the enemy, who will take away your sin, who will take away the problem that you just created. And he has come and Jesus is here, God with us, and we can trust him. He's defeated sin on the cross. And because of that, by his blood, we have been brought near. You know, this week as I was preparing for this message and for this series, I got this idea... Um, it just came to my mind. And it was this idea that we don't need more content because I was thinking, what, what can I say to really, you know, get them going? Get them excited about God with us 
And God was saying, they don't need more content. They don't need more great ideas. They don't need more information. They need more communion. They need more intimacy with me. God with us. My hope and prayer for us this Christmas and this season is that we wouldn't get more stuff. We wouldn't look for more information or more content in our life. But we would seek greater communion with God. We'd seek greater intimacy with God. We would understand that God's original plan is that he would be with us, that he would walk with us, that he would know us. Above all, that's what he wants, is he wants relationship. And he wants relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to love you. He wants to lead you in a way you can't lead yourself. So the band's going to come up and we're going to sing. And we've got a few moments um, before the service finishes, and I want to just provide an opportunity and a place for, for some prayer. Maybe you're in a season where you think, this is me. I'm trying to lead myself. I'm, I'm, I've shut God out in a way I shouldn't. I don't feel like God is with me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to echo the words of Isaiah. I say, God wants to be with you. God wants to lead you. Would you stop trying to take life and take control of your own life? Lead yourself. Would you let him, Emmanuel, lead you? So can we stand and we can, can we pray together? God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you love us, that you know us. And in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin, God, you offer hope. You say to us, oh, I want to be with you. I want to speak to you. I want to forgive you. I want to bring you out of the pit that you're in. I don't want to set your feet upon a rock. I want to lead you into a better future. And God, I pray that those words would echo in our mind this morning. God with us. The hope that we need. And God, this morning for people that feel like they are far from you, that are not being led by you, God, I pray this morning that we would know your presence, that we would know that you're with us. God, would you speak to us now? Would you encourage us? We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name.